Today's Bible reading is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 to 21. It's on page 955 in your pew Bibles. Colossians 3, chapter, eight, uh, chapter 3, verses 18 to 21. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. After every catch he makes on the baseball field, he'll look to you to make sure you're smiling. When her friends make the fourth grade pep squad, but she doesn't, she'll look to you for comfort. When she feels misunderstood by her brothers and sisters, she'll look to you for understanding. They'll never stop looking to you. When she walks down the aisle on that magical day, she'll look to you to bring peace to her anxious heart. When he plays his first concert with his new band, he'll look to your face in the crowd. When she makes choices that will break your heart, she'll eventually look to you for forgiveness and restoration. They'll never stop looking to you. And you can never stop. You must never stop looking to God. They don't need you to be perfect. They just need you to be authentic and offer them Jesus anyway. They need you to try your very best. And even if you fail, they need to see you rise up again. They need you to follow hard after Jesus as best you can because they will never stop looking to you. Son, I'm writing these words to you because you are, and always have been, the legacy I've wanted to leave. And now, it's your moment. It's your chance to leave a legacy of loving Jesus with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. They'll never stop looking to you. And that's the way God created it to be. Friends, let me pray. Lord God, I pray that uh, you would... Uh, Inspire us from your word and your truth that we would uh, live like Jesus as those who are fathers, Lord, would imitate the father heart of God and that we would always remember that they never stop looking at us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, uh, do we still need fathers? Interesting question to ask and uh, we ask it this morning and uh, we consider this theme because in some places some people don't think you need fathers you can do life without fathers 
Stephen Bedulph is an uh, Australian author, activist and psychologist who's written many books on, uh, on uh, children and parenting as well as manhood. And in his quote he says, the role of father has sunk to a very low point. Are fathers necessary? According to some feminists, a world without men would be a world of fat, happy women, to which we'd add and very screwed up children. We argue that girls need fathers for very specific reasons in their development, reasons that cannot be fulfilled by mothers on their own. Even more importantly, we, we believe that boys who do not get very active fathering, either by their own fathers or someone else who is willing to step in, will never get their lives as men to work. It's as simple and as absolute as that. Thankfully, we know that through the Church of Jesus Christ, uh, we, God provides other support networks to assist those who do not have fathers, or those who have had abusive fathers, or those who have had absent fathers. And one of the privileges of being a church community is that we can love others and step in. I will never forget the speech by US President Barack Obama back in 2009. And he was speaking at a Father's Day event capture the, uh, the American scene and some of the troubles that take place in the United States. He writes, fathers are our first teachers and coaches. They're our mentors and they're our role models. They set an example of success and they push us to succeed, encourage us when we're struggling and they love us even when we disappoint them. They stand by us when nobody else will. And when fathers are absent, when they abandon their responsibilities to their children, we know the damage that that does to our families. Some of you know the statistics, he writes. Children who grow up without fathers are more likely to drop out of school and wind up in prison. They're more likely to have substance abuse problems, run away from home and become teenage parents themselves. And I say this as someone who grew up without a father in my own life. I had a heroic mum and wonderful grandparents who helped raise me and my sister. And it's because of them that I'm able to stand here today. But despite all their extraordinary love and attention, that doesn't mean that I didn't feel my father's absence. That's something that leaves a hole in a child's heart that a government can't fill. Our government can build the best schools with the best teachers on earth, but we still need fathers to ensure that the kids are coming home and doing their homework and having a book instead of a TV remote every once in a while. Government can put more cops on the streets, but only fathers can make sure that those kids aren't on the streets in the first place. Government can create good jobs, but we need fathers to train for these jobs and hold down these jobs and provide for their families. If we want our children to succeed in life, we need fathers to step up. We need fathers to understand that their work doesn't end with conception, that what truly makes a man a father is the ability to raise a child and invest in that child. We need fathers to be involved in their kids' lives, not just when it's easy, not just during the afternoons in the park or at the zoo when it's all fun and games, but when it's hard, when young people are struggling and there aren't any quick fixes or easy answers. It's when young people need compassion and patience, as well as a little bit of tough love. The Australian writer and author Warwick Marsh, who works for the Dads for Kids, the Fatherhood Foundation, tells the following story. 
He said, speaking to a man in Toowoomba, Queensland, at a men's breakfast on the importance of fathers, this man came up to him hesitantly to tell him a story of when he was a young boy playing baseball. He had asked his dad to come and watch him play for the school team in the competition on Saturdays. His dad had not attended once. He finally turned up. Dad, will you come and watch me? The one day his father turned up. And the son just watched him. His father was up in the stands. His dad was there with a friend. He said halfway through the game, he saw his dad take a seat with a friend at the top of the grandstand. His dad would occasionally glance down at the, at the game where his son was, but most of the time he's occupied with a conversation with his friend instead of watching his son play. When his turn came to bat, he thought that would change. You imagine this young kid, he picks up the bat, he steps up to the plate and he hammers a home run. While he ran around the bases, if you know softball and baseball, I had a daughter who played uh, rep baseball and softball, and they're running and running and they're running around the bases and you put all your energy into running to get to the next base and the next base. Make sure you don't get run out. And as he's running, he looks up to the stand. His father wasn't there. He left the game early. He had something better to do. The disappointment was profound. And uh, Warwick Marsh says, I can still remember the sad and wistful look on that man's face as he recounted this story. What was strange to me was the man was in his 50s with a grown-up family and he was still feeling the effects of his father's indifference to his baseball game some 40 years later. It's his father's are important. The pain of their indifference or absence can haunt a man for a lifetime. The pain from the father wound can be passed on unresolved to the next generation. As I've talked to men and listened to them, these stories keep coming up time and time again. Each story is a little bit different, but the themes are always the same. The painful effect of fatherlessness in its many shapes and forms. He says, Christian men do not escape criticism. I can always remember the 17-year-old man who spoke at, when I spoke at a father's and son's event at his school. He said, you know, Warwick, my dad goes to church every Sunday. He has read all the parenting books. That's impressive. But he still doesn't spend any time with me, and I just don't understand why. He said, I didn't have an answer for him. Fatherlessness is no respecter of persons. It occurs in Christian homes, almost as much as non-Christian homes. He said, I'm not alone in my observations on the pain brought by the fatherlessness of our culture. Robert Bly, in his best-selling book, Iron John, says, I participated in men's gatherings since the 1980s. I've heard one statement over and over from American males, which has been phrased in a hundred different ways, there is not enough father. David Blankenhorn, a, uh, speaking as a social scientist, writes, Fatherlessness is the most harmful demographic trend of this generation. And yet conversely, the opposite is true, he writes. When fathers are involved, committed, loving and caring, children do better in school, have better socialization skills, are healthier, less likely to be overweight, 
less likely to engage in risky behaviour, have less risk of teen pregnancy, and are less likely to use drugs or get involved with crime. These same children who have higher father involvement are more popular with their peers, have a higher self-esteem, have better self-control, treat girls better, are more empathetic and are happier as well. That is not to say, though, as I indicated at the beginning, that all fathers are good. It is sometimes better to be without them in some situations. Due to violence, sexual abuse, drug and alcohol abuse. Sometimes we need to be saved from fathers because of who they are, what they become. Maybe that's been your experience as well. Maybe that's why Father's Day is so difficult for you. Now, I often find at times that people will stay away from Father's Day services and, in fact, Mother's Day services because of the pain of their upbringing. Stephen Bedolf surveyed several thousand Australian men and found that, uh, he said, uh, only 10% of men have a sustaining and close relationship with their father. It's scary to think of which category I fit in here. This is very humbling. 30% rarely, if ever, speak to their fathers have been estranged for years. Another 30% see their fathers, but exchange is negative, full of put-downs. And the remaining 30% have a nice relationship, visiting regularly, but rarely talking about anything deeper than the football or the lawnmower. How about you? What do you think? It's not easy to build deep, meaningful, enduring relationships. He says, next time you're with a group of men, he says, if you want to get into deep water, ask them how they get along with their fathers. It's an area of enormous hurt and confusion. Let me say, I love being a father, but it's not always easy. You with me? <laughs> to love and to serve and to invest early mornings, late nights, whatever it happens to be. The joys of being at their, at their netball games or at their swimming carnivals. Uh, the joy of watching them do public speaking. The, the joy of just seeing them wake up in the morning. To see them grow and mature and to see how God works in them. It's a joy, isn't it? to see your kids grow. Yeah, I know there's some difficult times too. But I have enjoyed being inv investing in the lives of my children. It's a little bit of fun playing with the granddaughter as well. But you see, at my stage, I'm thinking, I have to keep investing in my daughters, but I also have to keep now begin to invest in the next generation with the word of God, with prayer, with love, security. Because I need my granddaughter to know that she is safe and secure around me. That I'll bring life to her and I'll introduce her to the life-giving Jesus. That I'm not just a papu, which is a grandfather. I'm not just the one who takes her to Cronulla Beach. And we do that most Wednesdays. I'm not just the one who buys her a babuccino. She loves that. But I pray for her. I want the best for her. I wanted to see her become a, a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. The Word of God uh, doesn't say too much about parenting, by the way. That was a long introduction this, this morning. But we had to build up our children with love. It's interesting, uh, 
here he, in Colossians, he uses the negative. I wonder whether it was a natural inclination for men to upset their kids. It says, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. In other words, you might be the father in the situation and, and in that context, just ordering the kids around and often passing them on to someone else to educate them, to look after them. No, no, don't embitter them or they will become discouraged. And the opposite is work with them and love them and invest in them in such a way as that they will feel love, not discouragement. And friends, the closer we are to Jesus, the greater capacity we will have then to let the Father, Father love of God overflow in our life to our children. Because godly fatherhood is an overflow of the fatherhood of God in our own lives. And Ephesians 6.4, a similar thing, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't embitter them. Don't provoke them to anger or they will become discouraged. And I have to ask the question, how do we do that? Why does he say this? Well, we sometimes make irritating or unreasonable demands. Sometimes we're harsh or cruel. Maybe we show favoritism. Maybe we humiliate them or suppress them, even in public. Or we use sarcasm or ridicule. Nothing more sadistic than to speak these words to your son or daughter, you'll never amount to anything. How many kids have had those words spoken to them by their parents? You may constantly nag and condemn. You may be insensitive to a child's needs and sensibilities. It's tough being a father, it's tough being a mother. John Stott writes in his exposition, how many angry young men, hostile to society at large, have learned their hostility as children in an unsympathetic home? There is place for discipline, as Paul goes on to say, but it must never be arbitrary for children to have an inbuilt sense of justice or unkind. Otherwise, they will become discouraged. Conversely, almost nothing causes a child's personality to blossom and gives to develop like the positive encouragement of loving, understanding parents. Indeed, just as a husband's love for his wife is expressed in helping her develop her full potential, so the parents' love for their children is expressed in helping them develop theirs. Love them. Don't embitter them. Don't frustrate them. Don't cause them to go to anger. How do we do that? Well, express approval. What does love look, look like? Express approval. Someone just said, I just want my dad to say, you did well, son. I just want my dad to say, one day, can you get those words out? I love you, right? Or love, secondly, love their mother. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives and not be harsh with them. If you want something to embitter your children, mistreat their mother. Do your children see you, fathers, as loving your spouse as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for it? So he arguments and put-downs. What are they here? Live an authentic Christian life. How many children are angry at their fathers for being hypocrites? All nice and spiritual at church. Whether the pastors or deacons or leaders yet ungodly and self-centered at home. It breaks my heart when I hear that from people. They say, you know, my dad at church is this, but 
at home is very different. Be involved with them. Loving action means that you were involved with someone. Gary Rosberg was an expert counsellor and family coach. I've read some of his books on parenting and and, uh, the value of Christian behaviour on families. And in a very busy period of his life, he was working diligently on his doctoral degree. His younger daughter, picture this, presented him with a crayon portrait she'd drawn of the family. This little girl has drawn the pictures, all the family members. She carefully explained to her daddy every detail, including each family member. And finally, Gary was forced to ask where he was in the picture. It's a family picture. His little girl told him he wasn't in the family picture because he was never home. Ouch. (laughs) At that day, Gary determined that life in his home would be different. He scaled back his counselling caseload and started to reconnect with his wife and children. Having said that, we also know that for some people, their jobs will often take them away for long periods of time. They may work interstate, shift work. They may work overseas. They may be in the army and be placed in other parts of the world or maybe on mission. I love what Pastor John Piper writes about his father who was an evangelist, said his travelling absence from two-thirds of my life carried one main message for me. Hell is real and terrible, and Jesus is a great saviour. Mother never hinted that the absence of my father was anything but a glorious privilege for us to support. It never entered my mind to resent it, nor does it today. At times, because where God has called us to love and to serve, we won't always be around. But we know that God is able to work in those situations for our good. And cheer on your kids, will you? They do something, cheer them on. Wherever it is, whatever they've achieved, they bring home a test result, cheer them on. They bring, or they start to do a little painting and cheer them on. My granddaughter, she gets a pen, writes all over her face, I shouldn't give her a pen. (laughs) And then she draws a picture and I I just cheer on, tell her how beautiful it is. One day she'll know it wasn't. But for now, she gets a smile from Papu. Affirmation. No matter what happens. I always say to you, also cheer on other people's kids. Fathers, when you're by the side of a football ground or whatever it happens to be. Don't just cheer on your kids. Be the father who cheers on everyone's kids. Tell them how how well they've done, how successful they are, because you see, their fathers may never tell them that. Their mothers may never tell them that. You as a father have the capacity to invest in the lives of other children, to let them know that they're loved and they're valuable and what they've done is worthy. And listen. Don Schmeier has a little book called What's a Father to Do? And he said, I've heard it time and time again. The number one need expressed loud and clear from today's youth is would somebody please listen to me? It's very hard to listen when I'm doing this. What was that again? 
Dad, put your phone down. Listen to me. Look me in the eyes, Dad, when I'm speaking to you. Give me your attention. Yeah, yeah, I'll be there with us in a sec. <laughs> Sorry, I got a message. I do have a message. <laughs> Listen. But in Ephesians 6, he moves on from the negative, don't provoke your children to anger, to a positive exhortation. Build up your children with discipline and teaching, Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but rather bring them up in the training or the discipline. The word for training is discipline and instruction of the Lord. Nourish them and feed them. My friends, you can't nourish and feed your children in the training and instruction of the Lord if you don't know the Lord nor his instruction. So if you're going to be a godly father with a positive influence, you need to know the Lord, you need to grow deeper in the Lord, and you need to be able to then share the Lord with your children Training by discipline is the first thing. That word training is discipline, even by punishment at times. That's important. The, ac- uh, the training is with accent on correction of the young, showing them the right way to go. We know that children need boundaries. Some of us are not very good at setting boundaries, but they need some boundaries to work within for their good. And then training by teaching. Uh, the Greek word instruction refers to verbal education. We bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. And friends, the fact that you are here today and you have brought your children today at church on Father's Day is saying really something really important to your children. Because let me say, for some people, well, it's Father's Day, I won't go to church today, I'll just go out today. We'll just go out for breakfast, we'll just go out for lunch. I know it's Father's Day, I can go to church next week. And we say to our kids, well, we don't go to church because this is about me today. Rather than setting the example that worship comes first, dads come second, the ultimate father. The fact that you were here today saying something to your children, very significant. We go to learn about Jesus. We're going to do it with our family in church. We're going to have kids talk about fathers. We're going to go and learn in Sunday school. And afterwards, we're going to take some photographs, hopefully, at our photo booth. And then we're going to go and do all the lunches and the picnics and everything else. But we gather and we say, Jesus is most significant. Hear, O Israel, Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Teach them. Get the word of God into them. Through church, through Sunday school, through kids' clubs, through reading at home, morning devotions or evening, whatever works for you and your family. Expose them to the Word of God. And what's the main thing we want to teach our children? That whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. We want our children to know that we live in such a way that God is glorified, God is exalted, God is lifted up. That we are created for relationship with God and that we are meant to lift him up. It's not about us, it's about him. We want our children to know that men and women are sinners and rebels against God. We want them to know that we are saved by God's grace through the cross of Christ and through the power of his resurrection. We want them to know that life is to be lived in light of eternity. We're not going to be like the rest of the world. 
We want them to know that the happiest people in the world are those who know God and follow him, not those who have the most toys. We want them to know that the Bible is God's word. We want them to know that prayer expresses our dependence upon God. We want them to know that we must love our neighbor as ourselves and therefore we will sponsor children overseas, we will give to the poor, we will volunteer to serve. We want them to know that worship and meeting with God's people weekly is a priority. That God has a world focus and we need to be world Christians. That evangelism, global mission is primary. We must teach it and we must model it. Unless we teach it and model it, we won't build what I've called spiritual champions to the glory of God. We're going to build a generation of people who love Jesus and invest their lives in the cause of Christ. Play the movie forward. Scary thing. What will your children, what will our children, what will my children look like in 10 years from now? Think ahead. Some of you have raised children. They're still getting older. They're still your children. What do you want for them? If we do not teach them and model for them to be authentic and radical Christians, what will they be like? Play the movie forward. Sadly, many of them will love the world, its pleasures and its attractions more than Jesus. They will be absent from church. We will wonder why they are not interested in God and they will break our hearts. If we fail to do right now, we will reap the effects later. We'll have to live with their sexual immorality, their idolatry, and their non-Christian marriages. Their pursuit of worldly glory. I must constantly play the movie forward. Friends, we also know, let me make this clear, that we can love God and we can love and invest in our children and they can still choose to go their own way. But it is our responsibility to do all we can to make a positive difference. Friends, we still need fathers, God-glorifying, holy, radical, Christ-imitating fathers. May God help us to be such fathers because they never stop looking to us. Amen.